Hello, and welcome to the Deep Bible Studies Podcast, where we discover, explore, examine, and practice the Word of God. I am your host, Claudia Rivera Guevarez, and today we will be going through John 6, 1 through 21. This passage is titled, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. So before we even start the passage, let's just get an overview of it. Um, This is the fourth sign in the gospel according to John, whose purpose was to demonstrate Jesus' deity and how he is the Messiah of Israel that they were anticipating for, and he is the very Son of God himself. Interestingly enough, it is one of the only miracles recorded in all of the four gospels. So John MacArthur explains that this account, number one, demonstrates the creative power of Christ more clearly than any other miracle. Number two, that it decisively supported John's purpose of demonstrating the deity of Jesus Christ while also serving to set the stage for Jesus' discourse that we will be seeing in later episodes of him calling himself the bread of life. So we're going to see that in John 6, 22, 40, but let's just get right started with this passage. So verse 1 says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So theologians have a good reason to believe that there is a huge time gap between this passage and chapter 5, which we saw last week. It all depends on the feast which is spoken about in John 5.1, which that verse says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So this could have been booths or tabernacle titled the season of our joy. In this holiday, Jews around the world build a frail of huts in remembrance of the dependence of God as provider. And so this celebration is based on the scripture of Leviticus 23, 39 through 43. And so this indicates that the time frame between that event and this current one could be six months apart. Um, It would have been let's say from October to April. Yet, if this was the feast of Passover, which is based on the Exodus, Passover is a Jewish holiday commemorating the redemption of the Jews from Egypt because they were taken from enslavement and redeemed as the people of God, awaiting for the Messiah who would once again redeem them, but this time from the bondage of sin. It would have been a full year. That's basically what is indicating if this feast was Passover. So this chapter takes place in the north around Galilee. But anyways, verse 2 says, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. The reason why the crowds were following Jesus was because of, of pure curiosity, not belief. The news about his healings and his message were spreading rapidly, and consequently, people were curious. Even with this motive, he healed their sick, as the account of Matthew says, quote, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. I also love how Mark's account says in chapter 6, verse 34, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. We talked about God's compassion before, but the more we know him and the more we see this attribute, as well as all of his other attributes in unison, for he's a God of order. And then we just become so overwhelmed with just joy and rest in him. So verse 3 says, Jesus went upon the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. 
So they had just traveled and done ministry for long days and nights. Jesus had been healing and preaching. So really, we just see that he's a man, that he has the desire to be with his disciples together, converse, and just rest. They're tired. Now, verse 4 says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And this is why we believe it to be one year if it was Passover. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Funny enough, this was actually a little bit of sarcasm, and it was a sarcastic comment from Philip. He was indicating that even a whole day's pay, which is a denarius, multiplied into 200, which would be around eight months pay, could not get enough food for the amount of people in that place. It was a large group of people, like I said. It could have been estimated to be with children and women, a group of 20,000 people. So verse eight then says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down at about 5,000 in number. So this is why the miracle is so incredibly well known. It is a miracle in which not only an estimated of 20,000 people with men, women, and children, people witnessed, but they were actually served in the midst of the miracle. John MacArthur said once, this is creating food out of nothing to feed 25,000 people. It is a staggering testimony to identify Jesus Christ as God in human flesh. And that's why it's in all the four gospels. And it can't be debated and it can't be argued because of the sheer mass of eyewitness participants in the miracle. It really has never been denied until more modern times when critics have decided that it really wasn't a miracle at all. What really happened was a little boy gave up his lunch and everybody said, wow, let's all share. And so everybody reached into their knapsack and pulled out whatever they had. And you had this great spiritual experience of sharing. We're going to see that that's the absolute utter impossibility and would only come up in the minds of unbelievers and skeptics who were trying to discredit the Bible and deny the deity of Jesus Christ. So that was John MacArthur, but I also think it's funny because the disciples had just asked Jesus to send the people away. And he told them, no, just have them sit down. In Mark 6, 39 through 40, he said, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. We know that the place has much grass, so really splitting them up into groups and sitting them down was nice. It's really just a nice place and he was making them comfortable. Verse 11 then says, Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments and nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, 
Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I promise I'm not going to leave you hanging. We're going to talk about all of this in our next episode. So now this next segment is Jesus walks on water. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. So John MacArthur explains that, quote, the story of Jesus walking on the water constituted the fifth sign in John's gospel designed to demonstrate the writer's purpose that Jesus is the Messiah and Son of God, which we've said many times and we will keep saying many times, by the way. The miracle demonstrates Jesus' deity by his sovereignty over the laws of nature. It is so interesting because we just saw him being Lord over creation. He created the bread and fish out of nothing which had never inhabited the earth, and now we will see him as Lord over nature. We can critically understand that these are attributes only God can possess, which proves what Jesus said in John 10, I and the Father are one. So verse 17 says, They got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. So let's look at Mark 6, 45-47. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. We see clearly here that right after feeding the multitudes and going into the mountain to be alone with his father, Jesus told his disciples to go and travel westward into Capernaum. They didn't just leave him out of their will indicating that there was purpose behind him sending them away as we will see. Verse 18 then says, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So this was not the first time this has happened. In Matthew 8, 23-27, it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there rose a great storm on the sea. So the boat was beginning swamped by the waters, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he rose and rebuked the winds and the seas. And there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? They must have been incredibly panicked in this other situation, for they didn't have Jesus here. And the fishermen of this group knew that the waters in the Sea of Galilee to be about 700 feet below sea level. John MacArthur explains that they are cooler than the northern mountains and southeastern tablelands, rushes down into the lake, and displaces the warm, moist air, causing violent churning of the water. You guys, this is a very scary situation for anyone, really, for they still had three to four miles to get to their destination, yet they had been stuck. They weren't getting anywhere. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So in Matthew 14 it says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. That is exactly what the miracle of the 5,000 deserved. His worshipping, not his demanding to become a military king. This verse could also indicate as another miracle that they got exactly where they needed to be as Christ stepped into the boat. 
I would just like to finish off with this quote, which says, Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. That's to tell us that the miracles John records are only representative. So why are these written? Why the record of the miracles? These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. Why is it so important that you believe that this man, Jesus, who is the Messiah, is also God the Son? Why is that important to believe? Because in believing, you may have a life in his name. The only way to have eternal life John presents to us is through believing in the God-man, Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The whole purpose of these passages of this book is so that we might know that this man, Jesus, born of a virgin in Bethlehem who died, was buried, and three days later rose again as he was fully man and fully God, is life. He offers us eternal life in complete delight in God, reconciliation with God, and adoption as his sons and daughters by taking and becoming a sacrifice so that we might approach God and know him and be known by him. He took our punishment. He who knew no sin became sin so that we will, as Hebrews 4.16 says, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. How wonderful is God? So repent with a deep brokenness over your sin and trust in Christ alone. As Paul in Philippians 3 says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You can find more information on our website, www.deepbiblestudies.com, where you will also find the calendar to go along with the book that we will be studying. You can also find us on Instagram, at Deep Bible Studies, and Facebook, where you can know every single time we post a new podcast. Also, we have an email, contact at deepbiblestudies.com, where you can ask us any questions and we will be sure to get back to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and see you next time.